This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 courses on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming or DVD and CD. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only... The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including The Decisive Battles of World History. For this limited time 80% offer, go to thegreatcourses.com slash WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com slash WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. And Bill, let's start with the basics on the Iran deal. Is it an actual deal? No, no. It's a, it's a framework that they've sort of agreed to, to continue talking along these outlines to allegedly get to a deal. So already it's, uh, and that's good for them in a way for the administration. It's a little harder to attack it because some of the specifics aren't, aren't clear. I, nonetheless, I don't think Congress should wait and I think it's very clear what the outlines of the deal, if there ends up being a deal, will be. And I think these outlines are totally should be totally unacceptable to Congress. And what are the elements of the outline that the average person should know, and, uh, and particularly the ones that are problematic? Uh, the sanctions come off early so that uh, Iran can pretend to comply for six, 12 months. Sanctions start to go. Very hard to put them ever, ever put them back together again. So given Iran's history of cheating and breaking deals right there, that the sanctions part is a huge problem. No spot and snap inspections, apparently, so it's only going to be imperfectly verified. They keep their nuclear infrastructure in place. I probably should have begun with that. That's really the most important thing. Keep the centrifuges spinning. Certain arrangements to maybe they won't spin uranium in some of them, and, and some of them won't move, but basically it's all there, ready to be restarted at a moment. They kick the inspectors out. They have Fordo, which is the uh, the, the facility in the side of a mountain that's very difficult to bomb. Uh, Obama himself, President Obama said a little over a year ago, no reason any country would want such a thing for a peaceful nuclear program. We're letting them keep it. So I think there are many uh, avenues of attack against uh, this deal. In a way, it's almost a, the problem for critics is not to get too bogged down in the details and say this whole deal is an accommodation to Iran's nuclear program. It is not a serious attempt to stop or reverse Iran's nuclear program. And Congress, I think, needs to take an activist role here and do everything it can to kill the deal. I'm trying to figure out how the uh, you can say you're working on a deal to keep Iran from weaponizing, uh, you know, the, the materials and working from a weapons program. If they're going to keep, as you pointed out, bunkers under mountains, and they're going to keep this other facility that everyone agrees is a weapons facility, how can you say at the end of it? We've stopped Iran's trajectory towards the bomb, which is what President Obama said explicitly yesterday in his statement. Well, he says a lot of things that aren't literally true. I mean, certainly we don't deal with Iran's weapons. It's, 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 the ballistic missiles and, and the miniaturization and all that are pretty much left out of the deal, it appears. So, But look, when they're giving their sophisticated insider defense, they say a year breakout. So we've slowed it down is what they would say. We've bought time. We've created circumstances where it's harder for them to sneak across the finish line. When you think about when 
what it means when they say that, they're saying they haven't stopped the nuclear weapons program. At best, at best, they've paused it and gotten us a little more visibility into it, though I don't even think those things are, are necessarily true. And at, at worst, or not even at worst, but just in fact, they've legitimized it. And that, you really hit on the key point just a minute ago. They've legitimized Iran's nuclear weapons program with this deal or the outlines of this deal. They've given up on the notion that Iran should not have nuclear weapons, and now it's a question of, well, they should have a nuclear weapons program and waiting, and we think, though based on very bad arguments, incidentally, we think we'll have a year notice if they're going to break out and actually, you know, have a, have a, have a warhead with a, with a nuclear, have a nuclear weapon with a, a missile with a nuclear warhead on top. You know, Bill, maybe I'm getting old, but I can remember the Clinton administration celebrating how they'd stopped North Korea's uh, plans to develop nuclear weapons, and they suddenly the money started flowing, and the oil started flowing to you know to, to heat the homes of the you know the, or to heat the barracks of the army. And then sure enough, they had ended one program, but secretly started another, and they ended up exactly where they were going to be before. Except we helped them because we kept them fatter and happier while they walked down that path. How can anyone look at this deal with Iran and not have that? Particularly as President Obama says, look, the plutonium, the plutonium program, you know, we, we really focused on that. That's exactly what happened with North Korea. F flipping plutonium for uranium doesn't change bomb as a bomb. Right, and this is a country that's, I don't know, what, three times the size and ten times the wealth, I suppose, probably much more than ten times the wealth of North Korea. They were basically cutting a comparable deal with. And North Korea, a decade later, has, I don't know, a half dozen bombs, God knows how many Iran would, would or could have. And this is, Iran is a country that wants to be a hegemon of the Middle East. North Korea, luckily, really can't be a hegemon in East Asia. So, I mean, it's just infinitely worse than the North. It, it's like the North Korea deal. I think it's a very good example and a very good model. I was talking with a senator yesterday who said he was struck by how similar it was in so many ways, including our wishful thinking, our promises that the sanctions would come back, uh, our failure to anticipate that they would just at some point kick out inspectors and plunge ahead. But it's much worse than North Korea in its effects on the world. So I really come back to the need for, for Congress. Um, and they've got to look at the details, but they shouldn't get lost in the details. They shouldn't miss the forest for the trees. Anything they can do to stop this deal. And, and I don't know which argument will be most effective. I, I actually hope a lot of senators and congressmen just have different arguments. Someone should focus on sanctions. Someone should focus on Fordo. Someone should focus on the inspections. And there are all weaknesses in the deal. And I think to, to get to kill the deal, which is the right thing to do, uh, senators and congressmen need to go after it on all these different fronts and just point out how, how lame it is, how pathetic it really is, and how dangerous it really is. And it does nothing, of course, to curb, incidentally, anything else Iran is doing in the Middle East. I mean, there's not even a pretense of that Iran will change its behavior uh, regionally or in terms of sponsorship of terror. I have very simple rules to live by. One of them, Bill, is anytime whack job Islamic mullahs are happy, I'm unhappy. And the reporting thus far is that Iran is very happy. Uh, not just the people in the streets who are cheering. And, of course, if you're living under sanctions, I can understand that. You have people in Iran who don't support the regime who are happy to see sanctions go. Uh, but the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, leaders of Iran itself, the foreign minister saying the proud people of Iran would never have accepted the, the closure of any of their nuclear facilities, and they haven't. And I'm going, wow, you're happy. You're not closing nuclear facilities. Why would I be happy? Right, and meanwhile, back here at home, we have the administration spinning like a top, and 
uh, pretending there are aspects to the deal that don't exist, and then really going to the desperation, well, if you're not for the deal, you're for war. So if you couldn't have a combination of uh, sanctions uh, uh, restarted, and re- some of them are still in existence, and others can be reimposed, and sabotage, and the threat of military forces, if that can't slow down the program. And ultimately, of course, there might have to be the need to use military force, but let's at least try sanctions and sabotage, as we were doing. And we weren't doing that badly, actually. We had slowed them down. Um, and uh, but, but to simply legitimate the nuclear program and really pay, make them pay no price for anything else they've done over the last few years, it's such a gesture of weakness. I just think if you're, living, if you're elsewhere in the Middle East, if you're the foreign minister of Saudi Arabia, you're on the phone to Pakistan right now negotiating your purchase uh, for their nu- some of their nuclear weapons. If you're in Asia, if you're in South Korea or Japan, you're thinking, oh, my God, what kind of world is this going to be with Iran and everyone else getting nuclear weapons? Why exactly don't we have them? Isn't it a little safer to have them? It looks like the U.S. isn't going to stop anyone from getting them. So I just think you can't um, uh, overestimate sort of what a big moment this is. And, I, I again, I come back to Congress's need to step up. You'd like to have a president uh, who, who is executing the right foreign policy. It's much easier. Uh, hopefully we'll have a president in two years who can do that. But meanwhile, Congress just has to do what it can to prevent this from becoming sort of settled policy of the United States, which is the implications around the world. If people think this is kind of where the U.S. is and isn't going to, and the U.S. isn't going to change from this from this deal. I'm one last uh, aspect of this. Uh, you look at the headlines from the neighborhood around Iran, where you just had another Islamist group kill 150 students in a college in, in Africa. You have the you know uh, horror of, uh, going on in Syria. You have Yemen, total basket case. They're still fighting over Tikrit, which I thought we had taken a week ago, and on and on and on around the region. And in all of these places, you either have the direct tentacles of Iran, its money and its ideology, or you have indirect, other people who share the radical vision of Islam that Iran uh, supports. Why in this, you know, it's one thing to say, you know, we've got a house in our neighborhood that's ca- causing some trouble, uh, and they say they want to, you know, add another porch and another deck and maybe cause a little more trouble, but the neighborhood's in such good shape, we can handle it, and the cops will roll by every night, and it'll be fine. But this is a neighborhood that's already full. It's basically like saying to crack house neighbor in crack house neighborhood, sure, add another meth lab. What's the problem? Do we not see, I mean, does the West share this vision that the way to deal with the mess in the Middle Eastern neighborhood is to empower the number one exporter of terror in the world? Do they honestly believe that that's somehow going to, what, pull them into the realm of rational nations? I don't don't see the vision behind it. Yeah, I mean, I guess in a way, this has been an autopilot for quite a while, right? And so in a way, they have adapted to the most recent kind of meltdown in, in neighboring nations in the Middle East. But no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a kind of, it's even if it were to work in some very technical sense, slowing them down by a year or two, the signal it sends to the region that you're, uh, we're weak, we're accommodating uh, those who are powerful, those who are resolute, those who ignore United Nations sanctions, United Nations resolutions, the statements of American presidents, the statements of American congresses, all of those said no enrichment, no nuclear weapons program. We've just given in on that. What lesson does everyone else take from that? And, and even if they, they may take a lesson to build nuclear weapons, they may take a lesson that just America's weak and let's resume our jihadist defensive. And it can be an anti, it can be a Sunni, you know, jihadist, not Shia jihadist, but everyone takes the same lesson. So uh, it really, I agree, at, at this moment in particular, 
this deal is, is, is even more dangerous. We were in a position of great strength, and we could afford to be sort of magnanimous, and Iran was kind of an outlier. That really would be more than a way the North Korea model of 94, which was, that was bad. It was very bad. North Korea got nuclear weapons. They turned out to be part of a proliferation uh, uh, network, which has helped try to spread, probably has spread, nuclear know-how elsewhere and around the world. Israel had to bomb uh, the Syrian plant that the North Koreans helped to build uh, in 2007. But still, you can sort of afford it when you're in the 90s and it's North Korea that's the bad actor. You can't afford it when you're in 2015 and Iran is the bad actor. So the last uh, question is, what next? How will the rest of the world respond? And my assumptions are the uh, Arab nations who are uh, opposed to Iran they start right away getting on speed dial to AQ Khan or whoever they have to to power up their nuclear plan, and Israel starts looking at some very difficult decisions. Is, is that about right? It is. I think Congress can affect this a little bit, though, because if people think that this is kind of a bad framework, excuse me, bad framework for a deal, that may not come together because Congress might step in and prevent it. I think you still might think, okay, the U.S. might still be there. For us. If not, then Israel, then the Arab nations, then nations all over the world start to make these calculations. And, and that is where it does really get out of control. I guess Kissinger said that a couple of months ago, testifying to Congress. This is sort of a, a big moment. He said one of the biggest, I think, moments of his lifetime. He's had a long lifetime in foreign policy where uh, Iran getting nukes is just a game changer in a way that a lot of other setbacks you could recover from. So this is, again, why I have such a sense of urgency about Congress and members of Congress stepping up, and I think some of them seem like they are. Others, I've got to say, some of the statements have been a little bit kind of too business as usual for my taste. I oh, will look at it, very interesting. I really think, you know, this has to be the top priority when they get back in a week. I wouldn't have minded if uh, the Speaker and the, and the Majority Leader would call Congress back next week to begin deliberations on this deal. There's nothing more important, but they can wait a week, I suppose. They want to disrupt their vacations, but uh, they really need to be serious about this and, and, again, not get sort of wrapped around the axle with, oh, my God, can we get... We can't do this too much because we can't be sure we can get 67 votes. They've got to just go at this deal. We'll see how many votes they get, but they've got to, and they can try some moderate bills, and they can also try much bolder uh, measures, but they, they shouldn't sort of, you know, pre-compromise with themselves. It's been my advice when I've been talking to senators and congressmen for the last 24 hours. This is really a moment where they need to exert themselves for the, for the sake of the country, I think. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.